0: Uh, so this evening is March 7th, it is 2012. Our message is called Worth tonight. W-O-R-T-H, Worth. What you see on the screen in front of you is a man with 200 billion, with a V, 200 billion marks. This was German currency. The year was 1923. Something that economists call hyperinflation had happened at this point. In an 18-month period, a loaf of bread went from 168 marks to 200 billion with a B marks. So he has got what it takes to buy one loaf of bread there. Those notes, I can't remember what they are, but they're over a thousand per piece of paper uh, there. You know, what something is worth depends on a great many things. From a very simple standpoint, it depends upon supply and demand. That is a wonderful college kind of um, textbook definition. Of course, the way to bring that home would be to ask you questions like, would you rather have a million dollars or have a glass of water? Well, that's a difficult question to answer. Where am I when this is being given to me? What condition am I in? Because if we're sitting in the church and you offer me a million dollars or a glass of water, I'm going to take the million dollars every time. If I am in sub-Sierra Africa and I haven't had water in three or four days, I'm going to take the water, right? You understand what I'm saying? Your urgent needs sometimes make something very costly or worth the cost for you. The way that we determine worth has to do with the way we perceive value. For whatever reason, somebody paid almost $50,000 for a grilled cheese sandwich that they thought had a picture of Jesus in it. On eBay one time, how, how absurd is that? It may not even have been Jesus. It may have been Mother Mary, right? It's uh, a grilled cheese. Who really knows what it was? It might have been Mickey Mouse. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will pay an extraordinary amount of money for a painting that looks like Abby did it. You know, I, I, I just I don't know what makes something worth something to someone and not to another. But I know this. When something has a great value for you, <laughs> you will work to get it, right? You ever had something you really wanted? You know, I can, I can tell you that one of these uh, gaming systems is worth an incredible amount until six months after they have it, right? And then it's not worth very much to them anymore, uh, the them being my children. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 18. <clears throat> tell me when you're there. Can you imagine having to take a wheelbarrow full of notes to get one loaf of bread? Yes, Jim.
1: Another good example I heard today is an event coming up. President Obama's coming up and they're going to be paying
0: 40000 for a
1: few minutes of his time.
0: 40000 for a dinner that he will not attend for 40 minutes. Uh, 40,000 and a But our politicians do not sell influence, do they? <laughs> wow. So are you all in Deuteronomy 18? Yes. In Deuteronomy 18, something has happened. Let us pick up in the 14th verse. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among your own brothers, you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will die. God had not a suggestion, but a command. He actually heard something that the people said when they were in a position He created a position that caused them to cry out for a certain thing so that they would value it when they got it. What was their position? Their position was fearful that they would die. Having heard the voice of God, having seen a form of uh, cloud, smoke, fire, not a form of the Lord, but seeing physical events, they were scared that they would die. And in that fear, they said, We don't want this responsibility ourselves. What we want, Lord, is a a prophet like Moses. Let him speak the word to us. God said, very well, I will raise up one from among your own brothers. But this has a price tag with it. It's something that they would value because the circumstances caused them to ask for it. By the way, God did the same thing with Adam. He brought Adam to a position Where he passed all of the animals before him, let him name them, see how they work, their function, so that Adam would value the spouse he was being given. Uh, God knew that he needed it, but he wanted Adam to know that he needed it. In this case, God knew very much. The lamb was slain before the creation of the world. God knew very much that he would send Jesus, but he wanted the people to ask for him. Are you hearing me? We serve a God who will create the right conditions so that you will ask for the right things so that you will value them when you get them. Listen to what the cost was. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him into account. The price was... You're going to have to obey that which you asked for. You're going to have to hang on His every word. You're going to have to take Him seriously. I wonder how many people came to Christ this way. Did He let you get into a position that was so dire, that was so overwhelming with the weight of your crushing sin, that if He presented a solution, it would be worth doing whatever the solution was. You remember in John 5, he asked the man, Do you want to get well? <laughs> well, of course he wanted to get well. He was laying outside the pool of Shalom. What is he really asking? Do you want to get well? Bad enough to do whatever I tell you to do. See, we have a way of coming to the cross with all of our burdens. Coming to the cross, laying down. And as soon as he alleviates the burden, we forget that the cost was our obedience. We forget that we pledged our life. We forget that we owe him Everything. Am I the only one that does that? No. No, no. Yeah. Watch how this works. What he promised was to give a man who would be filled with his word. Look at Deuteronomy 8. In Deuteronomy 8, let us read the second verse. There.
1: There.
0: Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He actually let the people experience fear and hunger an extraordinary environment so that He could meet their need and they would know the value of His Word that was meeting their need. This is discipleship. It is training. When you understand the value of what is being given, when you understand the high price of what is being given, then it is no longer optional. It becomes something that you feel as if you could not live without the way a man cannot live without bread or not live without Water. One of the real problems in this country is discipleship is optional. We never get to the place where we feel like what's being given to us is of such great value that we could no more leave it than we could leave bread or water. Instead, we see marginal value in it. We see enough value in it to give up an occasional weekend. Enough value in it to do what they say as long as I like the way they said it. Enough value to be marginally obedient. But this is not the gospel. The gospel begins, Matthew, Mark, Luke, begin with Jesus saying a single phrase to someone. Like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left everything they were doing and followed him. You know why? He was worthless. You don't read a single account of one of those men deciding that it was too difficult and walking away. You know why? He was worth it. But in our day, unfaithfulness is as common as leaves are on a tree. So it's worth it while I like what's happening. But we don't allow ourselves to hunger for something to the point that it's worth it no matter what. In ancient Judaism, you could not take on a convert. You could not let a Gentile uh, proselytize to Judaism until he had been discouraged three times. I want you to think about this. This be giving that altar call, right? That earth-shaking altar call. Let's just do it Baptist style. If you died tonight, right, would you be ready? Or if the rapture could happen any second, would you be ready? You better run to this aisle. Run to the aisle. So you, you run to the aisle, and he says, Now go back. Then he gives the altar call again, and you run to the ice. and he says, no, go back. Can you imagine that happening? They discouraged someone three times because they wanted to make sure that they saw so much worth in what they were being offered that there was no way that having committed to it, they would ever turn from it. Man, maybe American Christianity could learn something from this. What was being given was of such great value that nobody would turn away from it after receiving it. Maybe we have cheapened the gospel, my friends. Maybe we have begged people to follow Jesus when instead we should have done what He did and said, the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. If you follow Me, you may be homeless. If you follow Me, all men may hate you on My account. Maybe we should do that because if people did still follow, it would have to be that they saw something of such great value that they would never turn away. It amazes me in our fellowship how many times through the last decade I have watched somebody crawl out of the primordial soup little better than what they say we evolved from only to be cleaned up. Their life begins to straighten out and no sooner do they look like a normal human being, a normal couple, do they wipe their feet on this ministry and walk out. And they always say the same thing. I can serve God anywhere. I've not found that that works very well. Though. I found that God determined the times and places that men would live and work so that we would reach out and find Him, though He's not far from us, because there is an ordained place for you to be. Amen. Amen. Obedience has never been optional. God let His people get into a place so that when He sent them the prophet, they would value His every word. They would not stand back and argue with the prophet. They would not stand back and say, Well, this I like, this I don't like, and everybody has their own opinion. Because when they were so hungry for it that they would die without it, then they valued it. Are you following me? Yes. You feel me here. Let's talk about the value of God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 119. In our country and many others in the world. The gospel has so been distorted in regard to money that we have not told the truth about it. Some sell the gospel. They sell it. They've become fishers of funds rather than fishers of men's. While others in my category are almost ashamed to speak about money. And we're almost ashamed to speak about it because we do not want to be lumped into the other category. Friends, what does Psalm 119.72 say? Somebody read it. Read it loud like like you were proud of it. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than
1: thousands of pieces of silver and gold.
0: The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. What you value, friends, you will invest in. What you value, you will sow into. Whatever you value, those are the things you spend your time and your money on. You show me somebody who is 16 years old and my day it was the Crank It Up concerts, right? We put such big speakers in our trucks that you could not sit in the truck. Mm-hmm. And then we argued over the decibel meter where you put it because we had a sweet spot and we were trying to crank out an extra tenth of a decibel to win the Crank It Up contest. You could ask somebody with an $1,100 Geo Metro. With $25,000 worth of stereo equipment in it. It happened all of the time. We put so many amps under our seats that there was not headroom in your car. You know why? We valued it. You see what a man values by what he sows into, what he spends his life on, what he spends his time on. The psalmist is saying it's worth more than a thousand pieces of gold or silver to me." the instruction, the law from your mouth. How do you feel about it? Are you annoyed when it's given to you? I mean, just fine when it's given in general, but when it comes down to you, is it annoying? I met more people in my life that were doing great in church until church became about them. And I'm like, well, why did you go if you didn't want it to be about you? (laughs) Did, Did you really want to go every week to hear a sermon about someone else? Do you go to the doctor to hear what he's doing with the other patients? Do you go see a specialist, a surgeon, to find out, Hey, you operated on my neighbor lately? Surely we go to the physician to see what he has to say about us. This is the heart of Christianity. Not everyone else, us. And then having had a work done in us, then we go help everyone else. You don't understand the value of what you've been given if you don't complete what you were asked to do. Yeah. One of the worst things that happens in Christianity is we give so much away for free that people mistake it as cheap. Yeah. You give somebody something and they don't value it the way that they do if they really had to work for it. i give you a hint. I taught a meeting not far from Opelousas, Louisiana and a man rode a bike 22 miles to get there. He didn't leave before I was done. You know why? He rode 22 miles to get there. He's going to hear everything I had to say. Because it cost him something to get there. Sometimes we need to get our investment right. We need to show worth in what is worthwhile. The Word of God is worth more than thousands of pieces of silver or gold And we're offended. We give a waiter 15% without a second thought. But 10% to God is an offensive thing. How dare that preacher talk about that. I could deal with a whole church that doesn't tithe if they were all learning and growing. Because you would know that it eventually would get right. The one thing that we have, church, the one thing going in our favor, Not very many of us are rich in here. Not very many are noble. Anybody in here connected to a Kennedy and I don't know about it? You know? We're all some six or seven degrees from Kevin Bacon, I understand. But other than that, we probably don't have a lot going for us in this world. The one thing we have going for us is we've learned to value the Word of God. And it changes everything. Because a man can have a billion dollars in the bank, but he can't buy his his heart to work right. He can't can't buy his cancer-free status. He cannot buy those things. But the Word of God can do for you what nothing else could do. How much do we value it? I left a church in India where they hand-wrote it. Because they valued it. They hand-wrote it. My very first Bible cost me $128 in 1993. That was a lot more money then than it is now. I kept it for 18 years until someone stole it from me. And everybody in my house knows I did not even let someone hold it without showing them the right way to hold it. It was precious to me. Because at the time, I made about $180 in a week. And you know what? I had no complaints about the cost of the Bible. I was amazed that they could make these things and give them away this cheap. Because surely it was worth more than a week's salary. You know, if a man gives a woman an engagement ring, there's some ridiculous scale as to how much of a salary it should be and those kind of things. But we buy the Word of God cheaper than you buy best-selling novels. And we don't value it. One of the things that makes something valuable is if it's rare. Isn't that strange? If it's rare, it must be valuable. How rare is gold? Who in here has seen gold? Who in here has a piece of gold somewhere in your house? Who in here has one on your hand? So how rare is it? It's all about perception, isn't it? You have silver in your cell phones. What we value has to do with the way we perceive it. And because discipleship is free, it is often disregarded easily. You forget that what you know, you don't know because you worked hard for it. You know because somebody gave it to you. You forget that. It is so easy to forget what has been done for us after it's done. Thankful on the day, but later we can forget it. Prince, I want us to be eternally grateful for what the Lord has given us. Yeah. If you could get everything that you needed by yourself, you would not be here. You wouldn't be. In fact, you would be the one. You would be rare. <laughs> You'd be the one aberration that the Bible failed to address. Because to everyone else, it says, "Do not forsake." the assembling with the brothers. It commands us to spur one another on as if the Lord our God knew the value of these kinds of meetings. But let one of you get into an argument with someone else in here, and all of a sudden we forget about all of the value that's been there. And we get so wrapped up in our hurt feelings that we decide we can serve God anywhere. And our lives go right down the toilets. I have seen that play out literally hundreds of times. The good news is, in a church that is this size, tonight, probably only 50 people here, I will eventually get to pastor all of Houston, 50 people at a time. If every few years a few more get offended and move on to some other place, then I'll get to them all eventually. Because I value what God has done, and I will not give up. I've gotten to where it's not even discouraging anymore. I just go, next. And the reason that I do is not because I don't care about the lives. I love each one of you. It really bothers me when you don't do well. But I know that what we have is of such great worth that the Lord will bring in the person that replaces you and will be obedient. I know that. I know that from reading the Word. When Israel would not go into the Promised Land, God simply raised up sons and daughters who would. You do the math sometime. It's a fun Bible exercise. There were fewer who went into the land than showed up at it the first time. In other words, it was a harder task. But you know what? They did it anyway. It'd be harder without you. But we will do what God called us to do no matter what. And praise God, you're here. I want you to value it. And I want you to tell you that what you have and you're attempting to give to other people like Ronnie in his workplace, It's a value. Don't throw pearls to swine. They need to see some value in it or they will mistreat Jesus and it actually brings guilt upon them. I stopped talking to certain family members about Jesus. I was making them more guilty all of the time. Instead, I decided that when there was a a right environment in their life that they saw worth in it, they would ask me, You understand? The gospel actually presents that you would live in such a way and God would move in their lives in such a way that they would ask you. Because what you have is valuable. Yeah, it's worth more than silver or gold. It's worth more than what that guy's got from that wheelbarrow. Of course, 18 months before, that would have bought a house. 18 months before, that might have bought a small town. But the environment so changed in 1923, after World War I, after stock market crashes, after a little shaking of the environment, Germany was paying war reparations during this time. And that amount of money would not buy a loaf of bread. But how many people worked their whole lives for something like that? How many people before that would have sold their sons and daughters? How many people before that would have said, I can just find another church, but let me have this? And suddenly it wasn't worth a loaf of bread. Children's programs are great. Comfortable chairs, great. A Starbucks in your church, fantastic. Whatever floats your boat. But how valuable is it when your kids are not following Jesus? How valuable is it when your pastor will not pray for you because he's scared to death that his smoke and mirror scheme will be exposed when you're not healed? See, we have value in the Word of God. We need to crave it. We need to long for it. It needs to move our very hearts. Somebody read to me Proverbs 31.10. Come on, a girl. How about a beautiful woman? Read Proverbs 31.10. Come on, somebody somebody, speak up and say, The Lord made me beautiful. Not you, Noah. <laughs> Come on, the Lord made me beautiful. Who in here did the Lord make beautiful? Come on, read it. A wife of noble character is She is worth far more than rubies. What is worth far more than rubies? We say a wife. Wrong. The noble. the noble character in the wife is worth far more than rubies. What is it worth to have a character that is being shaped day? that wrong? <coughs> How did you get a noble character? Well I was born with it wrong wrong you were born a sinner. so how do you get a noble character? I said well Jesus gave it to me no he credited you with one but he didn't give you one. How do you get a noble character? You have to be discipled by the Word of God. He has to teach you through constant training to distinguish good from evil, Hebrew says. This is how you develop a noble character. So, who's training themselves? Yeah, because the best athletes in the world, they don't hire trainers, do they? The best athletes in the world, they don't go to trainers, do they? They they know so much about it, they just do it themselves, don't they? No, that's not how it works. But the American Christian needs no one. The American Christian, uh, he's an American. He's better than everybody already. That doesn't sound like noble character, does it, Cass? See, the way that the noble character is being developed in us is God surrounded us with brothers and sisters. He gave us a pastor. He gave us a five-fold ministry. And this way we have an, an outlet to say, this is what I was thinking. And somebody says, yeah, that's the devil. Stop thinking about, oh, that's a little social pressure in a godly way. That wasn't right. That comes at a cost, friends. People pay to go to trade schools. They pay to go to college. They they pay in a whole different way in the workplace by taking terrible jobs just to be around other people that know what they're doing and can make some money. What what do we invest in? I'm saying that where God has put you is worth investing in. I'm saying that the community of believers you're surrounded by is authentic and it is worth investing in because a noble character is worth more than rubies. And if you were doing pretty good on your own, then God would not have brought you here. Nobody does good on their own. Read the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There's a way that seems right unto man in the end. It leads to destruction. When we say we're doing pretty good on our own, what we're saying is we are too stupid to know that we were not doing well. Can't believe that pastor said stupid Proverbs 12 He who hates correction is stupid Why are we on our own? Because we don't want correction So God puts us together No man isolated Not one Not the pastor Not anybody else Because character is something that is developed As a contact sport You know one of the best ways to develop character? Let somebody wrong you in a terrible way And you get to love them anyway. That's character building, friends. say, well, I didn't come to church for that. Well, do you want the noble character or not? It's going to happen. Somebody is going to be mean to your kid. Somebody is going to step on your toe. Somebody is going to misunderstand you. From time to time, somebody is going to repeat something about you that ought not be said. And it's going to happen in church. And it is character building. We get mad and run somewhere else. Of course, we'll be worse off than we were in the beginning. And the Bible says that. So that stuff ought not happen. Well, good. You get a chance to build a different kind of church. You are the church. I'm telling you it's going to happen anywhere you are because we're people. We're people. And this is how God trains us. Sometimes I know how to preach better because I preach badly. Sometimes I know how to counsel better because I counsel badly. Sometimes I know a way that things ought to be done because I did not do them right. Thank you for letting me practice on you. That's what it means to be family. Come on now. Who wants the noble character? Come on, then we got to do what it takes to get it because it's worth it. How about 1 Peter 3, 4? Somebody read that one to me. This ought to be another woman, another beautiful woman. So, Dylan, you're ruled out. 1 Peter 3, 4. Oh, no, beautiful woman, Joel. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on now, beautiful woman. Where are you at? Instead,
1: it should be that of your inner self, that unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight.
0: What is of great worth? That inner beauty. How does a person get beautiful inwardly? How does that happen? The Bible says a beautiful woman without discretion is a gold ring in a pig's snout. Anybody want to be a nose ring for a pig? So how do we get beautiful on the inside? Something's got to be at work in us. Something has to be at work on the outside of us too. Yeah? Is every thought you have a godly thought? No. Oh. You answer that quickly, doesn't it? <laughs> the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He convicts us. But sometimes we simply need people around us. Have you, anybody here got a sibling? Anybody got an older sibling? If you saw your older sibling get the wine beat out of him for doing something, Might you have avoided that? Yeah, Yeah, well, praise God. He paid a price for you. Sometimes just being in fellowship, we can go, yeah, that doesn't work, does it? It's worth something. The community that God's given you is worth something because it's building character. It's making you beautiful on the inside. The Bible says it's of great worth. How about 1 Peter 1, 7 through 9? No, we'll take a
1: dude
0: a bro Cephas
1: These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which which perishes even though the flames were fire, may he prove genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Through you, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul.
0: Salvation is of worth more than gold. It's worth more than gold because salvation comes. I'm sorry, faith is worth more than gold. Because faith brings you Glory, honor, immortality, salvation, it says. How could we throw away our trust in God for anything else if it's worth more than gold and achieves for us glory, honor, immortality, and salvation? Of course, we never say we throw away our faith, do we? We simply say we moved it. We moved it. Well, if you trusted God to plant you, how do we let ourselves be uprooted? It's an amazing thing to me the number of times in my life someone has been at an altar, been in our church, been a productive part, had a vision. I'm talking about heavenly kind of vision confirmed a calling and within a month or somewhere else. And it didn't take a heavenly vision to move on. It didn't take a godly calling to move on. It took an offense. Well, you said if we don't work in children's church that we should find another church. Yeah, I think you you misapplied that. Oh, we don't have to work in children's church? No, you do. And you should stay in our church. So when I don't want to, church is full of things you don't want to do because we're forming a godly character in you, you spoiled thing. If you do only what you want to do and refuse everything that you dislike, who grows like that I don't grow like that life is full of all kinds of things we don't want to do are you only going to do the ones that you have no way out of all you gotta do is look around and you can see that that's the case but that's not of greater worth than gold in fact selfishness is common you can find it anywhere you don't even have to be in church to get that you're kind of bored with it (laughs) You know why faith is of greater worth than gold? Because it is truly rare. It's so rare that Jesus taught in Luke 18 a parable about a persistent woman. Then he said, when I come back will I find faith on the earth? It was rare enough that Jesus had to ask whether it would still be here when he returned. Yeah, so what do you value, friends? Don't let anything shake your trust. So, maybe Eric didn't do something right. Surely Judah didn't do something right. If it wasn't Judah with JJ or Gabriel, what's that have to do with you and what God has called you to? Why don't we do this? Since we know those things are true, this is not in dispute, is it? Since we know that's true, let us read Romans 8 together. Let's talk about worth. Sometimes you can tell what something is worth by, by what it costs you to get it. Yeah? One of the things that I found just amazing is I worked a whole lot harder for $6 an hour than I did for $60 an hour. Uh, I didn't understand that. Uh, that's just not fair, right? It's not. But I found out something that if you had made $50 an hour, they no longer offered you 6 They thought that you were worth something. Because you had demonstrated it in the past. Worth was based on what someone else had paid you. I actually started including salary histories. Once I made a certain amount of money, I never gave a resume again without telling them. It was a way of communicating other people thought I was worth this. And if you want me, this is what it's going to take to get it. They didn't know I didn't even think I was worth what they were paying me. That was beside the point. What we think about something has to do with what we've had to pay to get it. Are you in Romans 8? In Romans 8, watch this. Let's pick up in the 18th verse. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Apparently, glory is worth suffering. It is worth paying out a little suffering to achieve glory. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Every time we suffer, you know what we're doing? We're saying the glory is worth it. We're saying what God is doing is worth whatever I am going through now. The worse the suffering, you know what? The greater the glory. Because it was worth all you went through. Unless, of course, it's not to you. Then you can join the list of Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander and Demas. These were men who deemed it not worth it. So they went back to the world. I bet they said they didn't. They probably just moved on to another church, you know. I mean, that Paul, he had it all wrong, didn't he? What do you think they said about it? You know, one time he corrected me in front of other people. He corrected Peter in front of everybody. and wrote about it in the eternal word of God. It apparently was not wrong. Maybe God's not as interested in our feelings as our character. We're often very interested in things he's not all that interested in, me included. I've been incredibly offended at times, and he's basically just told me, shut up and get over it. Not dead enough to self. It's hard to offend a dead man. My father is now in a grave. You can go walk by that grave over and over and over. Actually, his body's there. He's in the presence of God. You won't get him offended at you one time. You know why? He's dead. If we've died in Christ, we ought not be all that easily offended. I guess we're finding out how much of us is still alive outside of Christ normally. How about Acts 20, 24? Tell me when you're there. there. There, there. Read it. However, I
1: consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord of Jesus has given me.
0: A life worth nothing to him, if only he can finish the race complete the task. Apparently finishing is worth losing your life. Apparently to finish what God gave you to do is worth losing your life. That means that it's worth something, friends. That might mean that it's worth everything. Maybe that's why the kingdom of God is like a pearl that a man went and sold all he had to a king. See, we're convinced, though, that we can we can do one without the other. We're convinced that we can finish strong, that we can have the noble character, that we can have the inner beauty, that we can have the glory, without having to do any of the suffering, without having to do any of the giving <coughs> up our lives, any of the being corrected, any of those things. Because there are plenty of churches that will simply say, "You've got it already. It's God's best for you. Every day is Friday, Kes." Every day. Except that's not the kingdom. And it doesn't really work that way. How many of you would like to have the foundation that the apostles had? Come on. How many would like the kind of unshakable walk that the apostle John had? You go find in the scripture how many times Jesus looked right at him and said, Are you still stupid? Because he did. Go find how many times in the scripture. The men closest to Jesus were insulted by Jesus, but you know what? They stood by Him because He was worth it. Are you hearing me? He was worth it. He offended them, but He was worth it. I tell you, it's a terrible worth that we assign to an offense if it separates us from everything God called us to. We really elevated it to something that is amazing. Yeah, we'll we'll see this one time, such and such, it it happened to me. And that was so valuable to you that you have hung on to it and nursed it to the point that it has separated you from everything that would save you. That is amazing. Does He place value on you? Does He place value on you, Lindsay? Does He place value on you? <laughs> Somebody read Matthew 10. Read me the 10th verse. Does He place value on you? The worker is worth what? Apparently He places as much value on you it takes to provide for you at least. He says you are worth the wages that it takes to feed you and care for you. He says you are worth that, but how much time are we worried about those things? I spent most of my life concerned about how I was going to pay one bill or another. But he said I am worth the payment of those things. He said I'm worth it. He said it right there, I choose to believe it or not. But this goes back to how much He's worth, huh? See, if I value His Word, then even if His Word is about me and I would tend to disagree with it. Come on, ladies. If I value His Word, even if I disagree with what He's saying, because I value it, it trumps my own opinion. So when the Word says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made but your opinion of you is a little different, what are we going to do with your opinion? Or you can cross your arms, be stubborn, and get what you always got. I'm going to tell you immediately, right away just up front, your opinion is not nearly as important to me as what the Word says. And a person that believes what the Word of God says has a kind of an inner beauty that makes them attractive. And if a person's got a perfect outer shell but does not believe the Word of God, they have become like a pig's nose ring to me. You know why? I value the Word of God. It all is about where we place worth. In that same chapter, skip down to about the 30th verse, 31st verse. Read what it says so Don't
1: be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows.
0: Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows and not one of them falls to the ground. He's numbered even the hairs on your head. Are you worth something? You're not only worth providing for, you are worth protecting. The living God has numbered the hairs on your head because He has value in you. He cares more about you than birds, which He also created. He cares more about you than two lives of birds. He has assigned worth to you. Are you reciprocating? Do you assign the same worth to His Word, or is His Word optional? Maybe the reason we think His provision in our life and His protection in our life is optional is because maybe His Word is optional to us. When we put the same worth in His Word that He does, then maybe we will see the worth that He's put in our life. Maybe we won't worry as much about provision and protection because we will have decided that His Word is everything and His Word says it. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 You go to church to learn things like this. Because I know that as you were sitting down this morning with your coffee, you had this open and you thought this very same thing, huh? You mean occasionally somebody suggests something to you that you didn't already know Praise God, you are smart enough that there's hope for you and you can still learn.
1: Mm.
0: See, we're not islands to ourselves. You know where I get every one of these messages? From talking with people in this church. Today it was Michael at lunch. We're having a Chick-fil-A chicken Caesar salad.
1: Mm.
0: Isn't it strange that they always ask you what kind of dressing you want on a chicken Caesar salad? (laughs) Not Catalina French. Uh, It's a Caesar salad. So we're having a Caesar silent. Okay. And as Mike's talking to me and I'm talking to him, a message begins to form. Aren't you glad that Mike and I <coughs> are yes. mm-hmm.
1: Let's
0: read 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read this one to you. 1 Peter. i be in the first chapter. 18th verse For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers What was your life like before? Empty But with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. How much value did He place on you? How many precious blood of lambs were there without defect? How many sinless human beings have there been? There's just one. He spent that for you. Is there a disparity between our valuing? Does He value you more than you value Him and His Word? Because He will put you in a position where you will learn to value Him. The question is, can we receive it through positive encouragement, or does He have to put us in a desert? Does He have to put us in a place with no water and no food so that we learn to value His Word? It's not over for people when they make serious mistakes it's not I, I've seen people go around mountain after mountain after mountain some of you familiar with my life intimately have watched me go around the same mountain quite a few times the question is what is it going to take I'm saying that you were worth getting it right the first time I'm saying that it is worth looking around you and recognizing this what we're doing right now is not a common thing it's rare There's not a great deal of supply out there. And the demand is overwhelming. You are privileged. You are privileged people because the Lord is pouring into you. Good things. You are privileged because you have people around you that you get to pour into. Most churches are entirely based on a dispensary system. You show up here, the great exalted man of God who dispenses to you his wisdom. What do you get to do with it? Nothing. What's expected of you? Nothing. What is your role? Tithe. That's it. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is interactive. It's dynamic. It's each person involved in the other's life. It is the gospel advancing not just through the apostles, but through the deacons, the table waiters who are out there handing out bread with the first day of their lives for the gospel. It's signs and wonders. It's amazing things, and none of them work without serious value on the Word of God more than anything else in your life. I have three more scriptures for you. Is that okay? Yes, I think it'd be better if you read this one. I don't want you to think that I'm twisting it up. Read Lamentations for me. It'll be the fourth chapter. Read to me the first two verses. I don't know whether we'll put this message online or not, but try to read loud enough that somebody in another country could hear you. I was surprised all over India. People follow our Facebook page. They need to post, huh? Snipers. Stalkers. Four, one through two. two. Creepers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and then
0: also listen to our messages. You know how I know? I posted a picture on my Facebook, my personal one, that I should not have posted. It was one of those casual moments with my wife and I where there was a freedom involved that I know everybody here would understand it. The problem is, is our audience at this point is global. And in India it is considered just an absolute social taboo to even be seen Next to anything that might be on fire.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm at an Indian wedding full of Hindus. And a man says, I saw your Facebook page. I'm like, oh, great. Then he had a question for
1: me.
0: <laughs> I said, culture, culture. <laughs> you don't wear it. Yeah, anyway, why don't you read that How the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of
1: every street. How the precious sons of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now
0: considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. You've heard the phrase, worth your weight in gold? It came from the Bible. It came from the Bible because the sons of Zion are worth their weight in gold. Now, I don't know how many ounces I weigh at this point. My math is not that good. But it's about $1,500 an ounce. How many ounces in a pound? Sixteen? 16 times about 225 times 1,500. That's some value, friends. And if I go (laughs) eat tonight, if I go eat tonight, I will appreciate even more.
2: But you can go,
0: you can go from worth your weight in gold to as common as a clay pot just by disobedience. You can go from the rarest thing known to man, something full of faith of greater value than gold, to something as common as plain old potting soil dirt just by being disobedient and not trusting the Lord. He said the gold has lost its luster. Come on. I wish that I was not right. Sometimes as a pastor it is a terrible burden to know something before it happens. Somebody crosses their arm, looks you in the eye, and says, I could serve God anywhere. I can see the luster falling off the gold. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it happens all of the time. Every time I go to India, it happens a few times. This message is not about anybody but you. It's about you because this choice will always be yours. We don't have membership roles here, we don't pass offerings. I'm not about to start calling you when you miss asking you to return. If I call you it's because I cared about you. Not because I wanted you to sit in a seat at my church. I'm not about to play stupid carnal games to try to get you to attend church. What I'm going to do is tell you it's worth it. I'm going to tell you that what we have cannot just be obtained anywhere. It's worth it some people that they will Assemble 400 pastors in one room just to hear what we have to say. Mm. And I can't assemble 400 people that are not pastors mm. to hear what we have to say. Deuteronomy 29, verse 19, says something that is incredible. And I want to bring this up for one reason. I witness everywhere that I go, and sometimes I use words, And this was an occasion that I was using words. I was in an airport in Germany. I had been awake for a day and a half, 28, 29 hours. I sat down next to a man who seemed sad. It's not in me just to ignore a problem when I see it. So I began to talk to him. and He cheered up when he found out I was a pastor. He began to tell me about his love for the Lord. This is his business card because that's what Americans do. We assign value based on what a man does. And it just so happens that his business card is impressive. So as we begin to talk about the value of the kingdom and all of those things, we find out on almost every point we share the same values. And he begins to tell me about the great bird in his life. His daughter was married. Loved the Lord all of her life according to him. She got divorced. He's been praying for her. He's been trying to encourage her. But at some point, he could not support her ungodly lifestyle anymore. And he said, sweetheart, the financial ties are cut. You're always welcome here, but you're not welcome while you're doing these things. So she moved in with a man who's lost. They're having a little rebellion to God going on. And we're right in line with this. I said let's pray he wanted me to pray later I said let's pray now all of his work friends were around so I grabbed his hands I made sure everybody was good and uncomfortable I hugged him I put my head on his chest at one point and I prayed and I didn't pray the little you know Lord yeah and bless the food. I prayed in the Holy Ghost I prayed with tears I prayed with passion Something upset him. I thought maybe it was because it was in tongues, but it wasn't tongues. I thought maybe it's because I cried, but it wasn't the tears. I thought maybe it's because it was in front of all of his friends, but it wasn't that. you know what upset him? He said, I need to let you know, my daughter's salvation is not in question here. He said, I'm confident of my daughter's salvation. She's just living in rebellion. I said, there has never been a stupider statement that came out of a grown man's mouth than that one. It's almost like you don't value the Word of God. Now we've descended into a theological debate. (laughs) But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what he says about his daughter, it doesn't matter what I say about the daughter. There is a judge that the daughter's going to stand before. And you know who won't be there? Daddy. Or the strange charismatic pastor that said, faith is displayed in actions. And you cannot be saved if you do not have the kind of faith that is displayed in your actions, no matter what somebody's daddy says. Yeah. It's about what we value. And at the end of the day, he valued an experience that happened 20 years before more than the two decades that followed it. Friends, the Word of God is everything or it's nothing at all. Can we really disregard the Word of God for our own benefit? Even if it's my daughter, I can't. Deuteronomy 29 Look at verse 19 When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks I will be safe Even though I persist in going my own way, this will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. His wrath and his zeal will burn against that man, and all the curses written in this book will fall upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. But I have no concerns about that man's salvation. Come on, that sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous. I'd like to close with John 6. I don't want to close on a scary note. I want to close on a good note. Is that okay? In John 6... Gabriel, pick up that man's business card so nobody calls him. You can bring it here, yourself. He works for the most profitable oil company in the world, huh? In John 6... Let's pick up in verse
2: 52.
0: You know why I can't read it? I'm in Luke 6. (laughs) Speaking of value in the word, I need to value it enough to read the chapter. John 6, starting in verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. I like that. That's better than arguing with him. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? you know how offensive that was? Do you have any idea how offensive it is to a Jew to talk about cannibalism? I mean, it's, it's not offensive if you're Catholic. It's not offensive if you're Lutheran. They're perfectly comfortable with this concept. But to a Jew, this is the most offensive thing you could possibly talk about, that one person would eat another. And if you want to just go way over the top to talk about drinking blood, I mean, the entire Jewish way of life was based on the sanctity of human life and a particular reverence for blood of anything. There could not be a more controversial subject that Jesus could have picked, and so there are you on about it. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. It's almost like He's going out of His way to make it. Man. On this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Is it any wonder that many walked away? Their religion specifically forbade anything that related to blood. And since a man does not have a split hoof and chew the cud absolutely forbids eating the human being. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? (laughs) What if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Twice now, we have the comment that they left. And why did they leave? Because he was saying things that were simply not palatable. How does he handle that? In verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. You really have to value a person's ministry. You would really have to think this man has got something incredibly special to see thousands of people walking away, denouncing him and him openly be talking about things that seem To contradict everything you know about the nature of God. But what is Peter's response? Where would we go? You have the very words of life. See, this is what discipleship is about. Discipleship is acknowledging, you know something that I don't know. And it's worth everything to me to have that investment. And because I don't know what you know at times, I'm seriously going to misunderstand you. But I trust that God has given you something worth hanging in there for. 80% of the time it would be best if we did it because God is worth it. The other 20% maybe we will get an explanation. Yeah. What if discipleship worked that way? What if we didn't need to understand everything? We could simply be obedient because we had seen the fruit on the tree. See, I never asked to be pastor based on my speaking abilities. I never asked to be pastor based on Jennifer's good looks and my tag-along status. I believe that a man leads by the content of his character. And nobody in this church is being discipled by anybody that's character doesn't merit We don't base these things on talent. In fact, talent, we will sit down until character coincides with talent. But this means at times you might misunderstand what's happening. And I'm telling you it is worth it. You will never know what you didn't learn if you simply get mad, get your socks and a wad, and walk off. More people have missed their godly potential from something as small as an offense. Jesus gave them every opportunity to be offended because he only wanted the ones that saw worth in what he was doing. Amen? I want to tell you, I see worth in you, or I would never take the time to preach messages like these. It's a whole lot easier to just go tell people, you're all champions. It is. It is, and it builds giant churches, maybe the largest in the nation. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: but if you want to build lives that are unshakable, you have to tell people the things they don't want to hear, not the things that they do.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And then something begins to happen. A character gets formed in and, uh, and them, like a house that's planted on the rock. Then nothing will shake. In fact, other people can insult you, and you can laugh and say, "You know, now the difference between you and my pastor is he loves me when he says it." Hmm? move forward because God has given you something that's worth moving forward with. Let's stand up. We will show the Lord our love and our worth for Him by honoring His Word. You know what the ultimate expression of what He thinks of your worth is? It's found in this phrase. For the joy set before Him he endured the cross. You were worth that. Please don't let a misunderstanding pull you out of God's will. Because he didn't let the shame or scorn of the cross keep him from valuing you. Could you join hands with the people that are?